0: Mark chapter 1, we're looking at the end of Mark chapter 1 here. So I'll, uh, I'm going to read verses 35 to 45 here in Mark chapter 1. By the way, just a little bit of context here. You may be able to just see in your, in your Bible chapter headings there, Jesus is called disciples. He cleans them out with an unclean spirit. We looked at that. The Lord Jesus is yet healing in 29 through 34 there. Uh, we have a demon um, that is cast out and so forth. And so that's what uh, shows up just before we're reading here in verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Excuse me. I will be clean. And so for the reading of God's word. So we have here a few, a few ideas and really some insights into the Lord Jesus here. Some particularly noteworthy things, of course, happen in all of the verses in Mark. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's, it's very compressed. And so, uh, as we might expect, you know, there's a lot of uh, fullness in each section here. And that certainly is true of this uh, short section here. And so let's look at a few things. I'd like to draw your attention to just a few things here and let us think about them a little bit. So we have the first, well let me just ask you, we're talking about who is Christ, what is he doing here in this section uh, so, who is Christ? What is he doing here? And also, we see that there are certain models for us here as well in the life of Christ. So, um, we, we are very comfortable receiving a command, a verbal written command from the Lord, but we're often not so, uh, not so perhaps sharp at receiving uh, a command of life. In other words... The verbal command is one thing, uh, but the model of life, in other words, do I do what Jesus did or do I only do what Jesus says? And so, nonetheless, that's a little bit of a clue uh, to uh, what I think we might be able to see here some insight into this passage. But let's look at the Lord Jesus. What do we find out about the Lord Jesus in this passage? Okay, he got up early to pray. Okay. Okay, The Lord Jesus got up early to pray with a big mob of people. Is that right? Yeah, they couldn't find him, right? I mean, he, he, this wasn't a trophy prayer, right? This was, a, this was a secret prayer for the Lord Jesus. He's obviously not opposed to corporate prayer, but we see that the Lord Jesus rose up early. Now, what do you think of his lifestyle here? What, what do you think was happening? Or what else do you see here about Christ?
1: He's an early riser. Okay.
0: Lord Jesus rises early. He didn't go around and tell everybody, hey, I'm going to go pray. Hey, don't bother me. I'm going to be over here and pray. Okay. He didn't announce it. Okay.
1: Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also. That is why I came out.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, we know the Lord Jesus did a number of things, right? And I always um, am particularly interested in these singular summaries of what the Lord Jesus, or what anyone really does. The Apostle Paul, uh, when he, when he um, writes, uh, I think, to Titus, he says, he refers to those who came out for the sake of the name. In other words... And so what what he was doing was he was summarizing all of the work of ministry to have to do with the name of Christ. And I can assure you that was very informative for me as a chaplain in the United States Navy. (laughs) If Paul's going to summarize the ministry of of, of, of God with the name of the Lord Jesus, then I better be using the name of the Lord Jesus, even though there are some people that were uncomfortable with that. Right. Now, what else do we find about, about Christ here in this section? Okay, we know that it was his practice to go into the synagogues and preach. He says, this is why I came out. Again, the Lord Jesus did many things, but we see here that he has prioritized that, which was very, very important, and that is preaching. Right? Okay, what else do we see? Yeah, the Lord Jesus is one of compassion, right? He had compassion on people. He's a healer. Okay, we see that He's a healer. He's
1: purpose-driven.
0: Okay. Jesus... Had a leisurely life, you think? Seems very harried, for particularly the three years of ministry, right? Christ was very busy. Let's go on to the next town. He had people that were frantically looking for him. And we have here something that I, I think it's appropriate that we make a bit of... And that is distinguishing between what people looked for in Christ and what they actually needed. Who was looking for Jesus? His disciples. Okay, His disciples were looking for Him. Who else was looking for Him?
1: Else.
0: Okay. Now, this story has... Someone who seems a bit more urgent than anyone else. What is that person looking for in Christ? Looking for healing. What kind of healing? Physical healing. Is that a problem? No, we've not created a problem with physical healing, right? That's a very good thing, right? Are there any issues in the text here regarding the healing? Christ oftentimes concealed the truth from some. He tells them not to not to go say anything anyone about it. Okay. I was also reading about the times where he built that the tomb, and he actually the man wanted to go with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. He did go back and tell. Go and tell, so he mm-hmm. knows what needs
1: to happen. Yeah. we also see that he was unclean. He doesn't say that, but he he wants to ask Christ healing him to be clean, so he must have been unclean.
0: Well, it was leprosy, um, and so that is a significant statement, but. I think it's appropriate that we look here briefly at the juxtaposition between his compassion and his stern words to this man. And I would like to do something that you might not think uh, has anything to do with this, but I would like for you to project your mind back to a typical prayer meeting. What can sometimes become the focus of a prayer meeting? I'm thinking about physical healing now as opposed to spiritual healing. The reality is is that the man wanted to be healed, but he actually more desperately needed to be redeemed. And that is the only reason why Jesus responded to him sternly, was because, yes, it's a wonderful thing to be healed physically, but do you not see that you are lost and undone? Do you not see that? And the Lord Jesus was very aware of the problem of becoming a celebrity healer. Because he became a celebrity healer, what did the context of his life become? Look at verse 45. popular because people were mad about the gospel, right? They longed to be redeemed and forgiven of their sins. No. No, they didn't want that. They wanted to be healed physically. Now again, the Lord Jesus is still in the healing business. I believe that to be true. And there's every reason to expect that the Lord can heal us. But the reality is... Is that we, we recognize that we, do we not set conditions for ourselves? Yes, God, if you will do this for me. Right? But we, we and all the people around us, desperately need to be forgiven of our sins. We need, we need Christ the Redeemer. And there's a priority, really, that, is, that shows up right here in this passage of Scripture, in, in, in chapter 1. Right? We see that the Lord Jesus hid the context of his life dramatically changed, because he was seen as a celebrity healer, not because he was seen as a celebrity savior. No ignominy, mockery and ultimate death came. Had he only healed, would they have killed him? No. And the Lord Jesus said, "For this is why I came to heal." Is that what He said? Oh, he said this is why I came to preach. To preach what? What did he say? What was the what was the summary of his message? Two words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Same as John the Baptist, right? Repent and believe. So some So, you know, it's important for us to think about these priorities, really, that are set up. And I really do think that we, we, well, it doesn't really matter what I think, honestly. That's what is revealed in the text of Scripture uh, right here in verses 35 to 45. Is there is, in fact, a priority in our lives. You know, and that priority is one of spiritual life. And that's what we desperately need from Christ. Not only initially... Right, but as one who will maintain that. Now, let's look back at uh, this verse here. Let's not go too far afield from his devotional life, and let me ask you a few questions. Can you pray? Can you pray? I mean... What does prayer look like for you? Because this is, a, this is where the Lord Jesus is for us, of course, a model, right? Everything the Lord Jesus did is not a model for us. There's no reason for you to practice healing. <laughs> not the way Jesus did, right? There's no reason for you to enter into the process of being a redeemer, right in that sense of the lord jesus all the attributes of christ are not communicable they're not for us in fact right so that would be important for us to recognize so again when we look at the lord jesus as model it's important that we recognize what okay what do i step into as as you know one who's been redeemed and this is one of those things right this is one of those things about prayer and we may, we may ask a question, well, why did Jesus pray? Why did he pray? What do you think the answer to that is? Glorify God. Okay, how would he glorify God in his prayer?
1: By showing that he is uh, being submissive.
0: Okay. Why else would Jesus pray? Thank you. Been in perfect community with the Trinity. Okay. Prayer's about communion. Okay. It's about a Heavenly Father, right? This recognition. It's about communion. What else? It's an exemplary part, right? Okay. Now, we also recognize that the Lord Jesus, we think about this, of course, the second person of the Trinity, right? And it's important for us to see that that His role Obviously, as a human, is very, very, uh, very important, very singular, of course. But also, his role as the God Man, the second person of the Trinity. He isn't. Uh, he isn't just. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Merely a duplication of the Father and the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that they work together, uh, and that he wasn't redundant to the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that he, as he did his work, right. The Father had designed that they would do this together, right? That he would be actually dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Father, right? So this is a a recognition of the Trinity and so forth in the prayer of Christ. But for us, again, can you pray? This is something that we also must step into. Can we pray? Can we pray? What does that look like for us? The Lord Jesus woke up early. No doubt he woke up early because he had to, to find a solitary place before people began to look for him. And I don't, I don't think there's any reason for us to project some kind of idea that the Lord Jesus ran away from people or that, you know, I think he was, it's reasonable for us to see that he was a very, a very loving, warm man and that he had compassion and pity on people and that he healed people, uh, even though a, pri- a great priority uh, was that they hear the gospel Right? But so he got up early and he prayed, "So can we do that? Do we do that? Are we devoted or are we distracted? Devoted or distracted? I think it's important that we see that if prayer was necessary for Christ, then is it necessary for us, right? It's necessary for Christ. It's necessary for us. A quiet time. What does it look like? What do we learn there? Spending time devotionally with God and in His Word. I think it's reasonable and appropriate for you to look at the time that the Lord Jesus spent early in the morning with his Father to be that which would, of course, match what we often refer to as a quiet time. And often the quiet time is looked upon as a luxury, right? It's something that old people do when they retire or something. But, I mean... It's, the Lord Jesus, I think, is showing us that even in a day that is described as harried, very, very busy, uh, yet, he, yet he recognized that he must carve out this time. Right, for, it seems that uh, I recall that Luther, when people would ask him about a day, his day, he would say, when he had a busier day, what did he do? He got up earlier and prayed more, apparently. Alright? Because, again, Luther recognized that he was a man dependent upon the Lord. And we see, of course, this example here. Okay. Let's talk about why Jesus came, that I may preach.
1: He was given a commission
0: Okay. From the okay, so Christ preached. We know that He was called upon by the Father to do that. Is there any other reason that the Lord Jesus would, would preach? To then take the light of the death
1: of the wicked.
0: Okay. Now, what does not taking delight in the death of the wicked have to do with preaching?
1: Well, uh, you want to see the one who you're preaching to to change his ways to repent, to believe in the gospel, and to follow the law. Okay. Uh, So, somebody who does not He's got love, compassion
0: for the, Lord. the apostle Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching, right? What do you think he's referring to when he talks about the foolishness of preaching?
1: takes the, the man right where he is and opens his heart and out the sheep of life.
0: He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Jews, de- Yes, thank you for that, uh, Jared. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. You know, there are certain... Parts of our lives and certain things that we do and organizations that we're a part of that have very ceremonial uh, and lofty introductions to them, you know, and they're very good. It may be a wedding, for instance, or uh, it might be, you know, some of you perhaps have worked for people that uh, you know had a had a ceremonial beginning for you as you began or something like that, but. What the Apostle Paul is referring to is that the introduction into the kingdom of God looks like this thing that requires something that's quite foolish, actually. The foolishness of preaching. Like, wow, that's really not very lofty. That doesn't seem to fit into the grand philosophy of the world. Where is all the sophistry of... The great lectures of the day and preaching, it's not there, right? It's this, this activity that God has determined will actually, in fact, have much to do with us coming to faith in Christ. And so this idea of preaching, the Lord Jesus says, this is why I've come out, right? So why is it so important?
1: Okay. So he doesn't appear to all of
0: us. hmm He has
1: a like God's father, so he doesn't appear to us. hmm Patrick, I got to admit, you've got me a bit confused on this foolishness of preaching.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, the Apostle Paul is, uh, and there certainly is, this is not an exposition of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's an attempt at an exposition of Mark chapter 1, verses 34 to to 45. But, But nonetheless, the idea in Paul's reference to foolishness is that the preacher and the message is not a sophisticated, worldly, acceptable proclamation. It is, in fact, that which is lowly. That which is mocked. And, and that's the idea in the foolishness of preaching in this reference. This idea that, that, you know, God has determined somehow in the same way that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. He, he didn't set him up as a prince. Right? He set him up as the son of a carpenter. And the guy was born in a stable. So that's the idea. Does that make sense? Of
1: the eyes of the world.
0: Yeah. Ask, ask your unredeemed neighbor what he thinks of preaching. I mean, does he know what you do on Sunday mornings? I know he does, Brandon. <laughs> but he might, would he be a guy that might say, What are you doing with your life, man? Why are you wasting your Sundays? He, right. He might help to consider uh, the,
1: the, the problem.
0: Fool said in his heart, there
1: is no God. So, mm-hmm. so there's a, a juxtaposition of different kinds or qualities of wisdom. All the time, suggest that in God's eyes, preaching is foolishness. He's drawing our attention to these different qualities of what we consider to be wise or foolish. So,
0: That's very helpful. Thank I you.
1: Of, I kind of followed you in the first breath. here. Okay? So, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel okay. not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross and the Christ be in the world is this kind of what you're getting at or am I still out the weeds
0: well I think uh, and it's helpful that Adam brought this up but y- yeah I mean it's just that it's, it appears to be Foolishness in the eyes of the world, but God has determined that this, in fact, would be the delivery vessel by which many of us are redeemed, by this which the world calls foolish. And so, when we look at what the Lord Jesus did, again, we see another, we see the same thing that's consistent with all of the prophets that have gone before him and those, uh, you know, apostles that followed him. And that they also affirmed and recognized that God, in fact, has, he, has, he has authorized that the proclamation of his word through the process of preaching is, in fact, the primary delivery vessel by which people will be redeemed, that which the world mocks and makes fun of. But yet it is the true uh, wisdom of, of the world. The wisdom of God is far superior to what the world comes up with. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Paul talks... I, I get a sense of, um, he talks about, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. Um, they, they preach myths and genealogies and all these complications. but he instructs Titus to, ask for you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Yeah. He says, we once were foolish ourselves before we were saved. mm mm-hmm. God's grace on us—it's—it's
0: changed us. So I do—I do think that one of the significant parts of Mark chapter one here, verses thirty-five to forty-five, is this idea of why is preaching so important, just in its simplicity. In other words, okay, why the priority? why is this why Why has the Lord Jesus uh, singularly summarized his work he didn 't say "I came to die on the cross. We know that is absolutely true, and we know that that is absolutely vital and urgent to what the Lord Jesus did right but here in this passage he 's emphasizing preaching, and the reality is that is that I certainly hope this doesn't seem self-serving, so, since I happen to be a preacher. But nonetheless, the, the, the reality is, is that God has, has much in mind with preaching. In other words, what is the purpose of it? Is it simply the entry vessel by which you come into the kingdom? Or is it something that, in fact, is necessary, that God the Father has determined is, in fact, necessary for your daily life, right? Right? And so, when we look at First Peter, for instance, we get this idea. Peter says in uh, in Second Peter, chapter one, verse three, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory. And And so Peter is laying out for us, he's speaking to the redeemed, and he's laying out for us, really, in these next few verses, in the very first chapter of 2 Peter, really, what preaching must accomplish for the people of God. In other words, Peter's saying, you need this, and this is a part of how you will get it. As a matter of fact, sort of at the end of this whole section, in verse 12 of 2 Peter 1, he says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So, what is he reminding them of? What are these qualities we see here Um, In verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, uh, if you were to listen to probably many people talk about preaching, they would likely uh, describe their expected purpose of preaching is to be encouraged. Right? Is that what they might say? To be encouraged. I've come here to be fed. What do they? What do they mean by that? Fed. Okay. Now, now here's yes. Thank you. Make, mark, mark that, this man listen to the sermon. Okay, okay, okay. Now, here's, here's the thing. The, the unfortunate truth is, is that many in Christendom, many in evangelicalism, actually are looking for something in preaching that it was never intended to do. Now, I'm not proposing to you that I shouldn't be encouraging and that the preacher shouldn't be encouraging. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. But the Apostle Paul actually didn't include encouragement in his summary of preaching. He said, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. So, if again, that's why the urgency, the reality is, is that we are here. God has brought us into the entryway of the kingdom of God. And the apostle, the apostle Peter is talking in, in, in chapter excuse me, chapter 1 of 2 Peter, and he's saying, okay, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there. And it involves all of us, but it absolutely involves the proclamation of the Word of God. I'm a reminder of you. We, he says, with virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is moral energy. Moral energy. Add to that all of these things, Right? And so, again, part of it, yes, it has to do with your devotional period of time. Just you and just, just you and the Word of God and the Lord here, right? And then you've got your families, obviously that's a part of that. You've got, you've got a faithful uh, church, a community of believers in which you hear the proclamation of the Word and you're around God's people. And the reality is, is when we mature in Christ, we don't need that anymore. Is that right? No. Because maturity in Christ actually has to do with growing independence. Those are two words. In-dependence. Right? On the people of God, on the Word of God, and on God Himself. But that's counterintuitive because we think maturity is about tying my own shoes. It's about fixing my own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yes, that is part of maturity, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? But maturity in Christ has to do with growing in a recognition that we desperately need God. And the people of God and the ways of God. Any other... So again, Christ came to preach. What's the purpose of preaching? So if... if And if I don't... If, if, if I'm not entering into that, then then I, you know... I need, you know, I I need help. Obviously, I mean, uh, that's what if, if if I'm persuaded God has called me to do that, and I'm not, I'm not doing what it is that God has called a preacher to do in the Word of God, then that needs to be addressed. Obviously, right? That's a very important issue. Okay, so preaching is a priority. What is it for? Personal devotion, this time in the Lord, this, 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 I'm, I'm, it's a priority for the Lord Jesus, and we see that in this passage. We also see a priority of spiritual nourishment, spiritual uh, life over physical life, right? These really three ideas, I think, that we get. Now, are there any, any questions at all in this, uh, in this 11 verses that you may have? Okay, well.
1: Well, it's not so much a question as a, as a comment. He says, when, when the guy asked, me to please, he concludes. Uh